G'day everybody, Apricot here. This episode of Talking Ospol was broadcast live on r slash Australian politics. I hope you enjoy. So, this week we've got a pretty good show for you guys. Uh, we've got Spence and Matt uh, joining us today. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? I think we'll start with Spence. Yep, hi, my name is Spence, uni student from Canberra, journalism student done sports media and currently doing a politics and communication and media degree. Fantastic. Matt, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hope everyone can hear me. Um, yep. Yep. My name is Matt. Uh, I am a, a union organiser with Musicians Australia, and I'm also a writer, and I put together uh, community journals um, of all sorts for people to uh, to have fun with. So I'm just here to engage and have a good time and uh, very grateful that um, the community is so open to having members come on and, and chat. Hmm. So just clarify, awesome. what, what sort of journals did you say you write? Oh, sure. So I put together um, like poetry and art journals as well, but also... Um, I've just started constructing a new one um, which focuses on uh, investigative journalism and long-form articles. Oh, right. I just did, uh, I, I, I missed, missed how you had described it. Sorry. Carry on. All good. No so worries. We might, move, <laughs> we might move into our first topic, um, which is that the government has flagged the possibility of allowing New Zealanders, our brothers across the Tasman, to vote in elections. Uh, this would actually be a reversal of an earlier decision uh, made, I believe it was in the 80s, because up until then, permanent residents could vote in elections, um, and then they couldn't. So I think this is a very interesting development, um, and it signifies a lot closer ties between Australia and New Zealand. Um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, guys. I think we'll start with Spence again. Yep. For me, I think it's a step in the right direction, I think, especially when it comes to a lot of them have been living in Australia for a large period of time. And I think when if you're already in Australia, paying taxes, living here, working here, you should have a say in how things are run because they affect you, you as well. So I think mm-hmm. this is a step in the right direction, and especially when it comes to the fact that the kind of bridging between a visa and a full citizenship can be very difficult for New Zealand people living in Australia and a bit expensive because I looked it up and at max it could be about $490 to even get forms to do it, which is for people who are kind of working day-to-day getting by, that's a big expense to put in. $409 mm. is not an easy thing to say. Yeah, I can easily do that. We will get on to, to Matt, but it's, it's a broad topic, so I, I, if you don't mind me jumping in on a couple of things, because this is a question I was curious about. You said while they're here <laughs> and paying taxes, etc. cetera, uh, what would be your opinion on them uh, not being allowed to vote unless they're paying taxes, Spence. I feel like if unless they're paying 
in a way, yeah, I kind of agree with that because I think when you're you have to pay if you're fully contributing to us to the Australian society and doing all that stuff. Yeah, but then again, if you're not, I'd get why if you weren't allowed to vote. I still think it should be mainly on how long you've been living in Australia. I think everything still affects people, even if they're not currently paying taxes. I still think there's a lot that can go in, because I know that a lot of people working, especially young people working, don't make enough to do that. Mm. But then they still vote, so I feel like it mainly goes to, I think, should focus more on how long you've been living in Australia, but also I think I wouldn't be against them having, if they're not paying taxes, that they have to always do a bit more to get that right to vote. Hmm. So the thing is, though, um, everyone in Australia pays taxes. You know, we all pay GST when we go and buy basically anything. Like, yeah. So I feel like if you're try if you're trying to limit it to say for example like income tax, I feel like that mm. makes the system a lot more convoluted uh, than it needs to be. So say for example you're a Kiwi who's lived here for say eight years and you've worked for six of them, and then you know you get unemployed and it just happens to be an election year. Does that suddenly mean you can't vote mm. because you're yeah, currently look, I- unemployed? Yeah, I had I had raised that just because I was curious. I, I understand there's those those nuances and that point and the point that Spence made about uh, it actually impacting on you are, are valid points. It's it's also just another an, another facet of it. I, I basically I was just curious, <laughs> just curious to hear what uh, Spence thought about that. So look, I interrupted your your throw over to to Matt to get his opinion on the the, the Kiwis, but uh, I'll I'll let you keep going with that one. There you go, Matt. Sure. I mean, this is really, it's a, it's really interesting, you know, uh, it's interesting that it happens with when both Labor governments are in power, that these, uh, um, these developments are looked at again. And I think it, you know, I, I, I took a screenshot of um, uh, the Prime Minister's post with uh, Jacinda Ardern, and it makes very clear that, you know, it's a, we will work with business and government across the Tasman to support free and open trade. So I think it's like partly to do with that kind of closeness of nature as well in terms of, you know, mm. I mean, New Zealand has a place in our constitution. So I think <laughs> that there's a, a long-standing history and I don't think that it needs to be seen as um, something that, that can't happen. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's just very interesting to me that the... Um, yeah, the amount of, um, you know, we, this was not considered in the last, you know, nine years of government. And I think that's a very quick change as well. Mm. I think going on that, not just New Zealanders, I feel like it should be a general thing for those who have been permanent residents of Australia for a while, no matter where they come from. Because I think when... You're living, as I said, like when you're living here and doing that, even though we're close to New Zealand, and I think that would be the priority. I think you've still got a lot of former uni students who have come from other countries to study here, who have lived here for mm-hmm. a while, 
that should also be in consideration for that. It's either giving them the extra right to vote or making it easier to get citizenship here in Australia, especially if you've been here on a permanent visa. Like, it sh- should be instead of like doing this whole foreman situation that after a certain amount mm. of time of living here, you're automatically accepted to kind of sign a form to get a citizenship? Maybe, but I'm not... So here's the thing. I'm just thinking from my kind of point of view. Um, I I do believe Australia and New Zealand should have a lot more closer ties than we do. Um, I personally actually wouldn't even be opposed to us like sharing a currency in some fashion. Um, because... Just New Zealand is so close. It's one of our closest allies in the region. Um, you know, and like I work in IT kind of thing. I would feel generally fairly comfortable if I, you know, was offered a job um, in Auckland, you know, doing IT. Something like It's close enough that I feel like I could live there. I could integrate into their society fairly well um, and, you know, still be able to visit my family in Australia. Uh, but I wouldn't really want to give up my Australian citizenship. You know what I mean? Like, I I would work there and everything, but I wouldn't... I, I don't know if we should really qualify based on citizenship rather than permanent residency. Hmm. Yeah, look, I think the... I think the... Uh, the, 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 the actual location of the person, you were just talking there about Australia and... New Zealand, and there's that that natural closeness because of our proximity. Uh, mm-hmm. You t- you touched on it, Spence, with uh, why just New Zealand. That was one of the questions I had that I was going to ask as well. But I also noticed that within the uh, comments, we've got a, a comment from Ben Along that is pertinent to this. Uh, ben Along says. Several countries, including notably China, have pushed for their citizens to be allowed to vote if they are living in Australia and paying taxes or conducting business here. If we allow Kiwis to vote, would that open a high court challenge for other countries to demand voting rights for their citizens? I think that is a concern for a number of people. I think there's a naturally friendly disposition towards the New Zealanders because we have such cultural similarity I'm not mm-hmm. quite so sure that everybody would be happy to extend voting rights to everybody, regardless of where they came from, given the wide array of perceptions that people have, both socially and culturally. For me, that's the biggest sticking point with actually allowing the uh, New Zealanders to a vote and Australia's to vote over in New Zealand, I, I have a similar dis- similar problem with that as well, is that it makes it very hard to say, so why not everybody else? Now, if the decision of the country is, yep, anybody who comes in uh, is here doing their time and paying their, uh, doing their time, <laughs> anybody's here who's, <laughs> who's, <laughs> who's been here for a while and paying their, their taxes are entitled to vote, if it's open slather, fine, I've got no issue. But as soon as we start to get into uh, a picking and choosing, you almost end up with a sort of democratic apartheid. Yeah, the other thing, though, is it could operate on a system similar um, to our reciprocal health 
uh, treaties that we have with other countries. You know, for example, if I go over to Europe or to another country that has universal healthcare, we have them with most of the European countries, if I recall. Um, and I get injured, I get access to free healthcare there because Australian, like you know, the visitors to Australia have free healthcare here. It's a it's a partnership kind of thing. So I feel like if a country wanted their like their permanent residents to be able to vote in Australia, it would have to come with the like asterisks of you know Austra- Australians living in that country's you know country would then also gain the right to vote, which would exclude you know non-democracies that's an interesting workaround Uh, the one question i kind of want to ask is that you can't mention that people would be kind of feel off about off about giving other countries it i want to kind of know is that do you think there's anything actually truly dangerous to letting those from other countries who are permanent residents vote in elections or do you think that was this is one of the kind of topics that whether it would sway any elections. Personally, I don't really think it would, but I'd like to hear from you guys. Uh, well, I I think it's I think it's a numbers game, as always. Uh, if you're talking about, uh, I mean, you look at it. I don't know Australia's current uh, migrant makeup, uh, what it breaks down to, and whatever the, whatever the currently fashionable division is. I don't know what it is at the moment, but the numbers are such that you probably don't have any uh, out of balance uh, amount of people coming into the uh, coming into the country that are going to uh, significantly affect the the culture and therefore significantly affect uh make an impact on the, the the voting so for me at the moment that's not a huge issue because we don't have a uh particular issue with you know people from a, a different region or, or particular country it would only mm. be if we had an, an undue constant concentration that uh i would say that it could turn out to be a, a, a problem. So I think it's a flag to be raised. I don't think it's a problem that's current. What about you, Apricot? I guess I would have a similar view. I think I would also caution us and you know people that are examining these, this question to not make the mistake of thinking that people from you know, X country vote in a block. They are diverse. Mm. They do have different opinions and things like that. You know what I mean? It's not like every single Kiwi yep. will vote for Labour it's, or something like that. Um, so yeah, I'd say the makeup probably wouldn't swing any election per se, but we wouldn't, I guess, need to be careful about opening the door to, you know, oh, this candidate is, you know, sanctioned as a good candidate from my you know, home country in a sense. Um, it, it, it's a very challenging topic, It's but it's a very interesting one. And I feel like New Zealand could provide a really interesting sort of sandbox, if you will, like a trial run of how that would work. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, Australia that... turning somewhere as green as the New Zealand into a sandbox, but I don't mind that. I think the only thing that you'd see is like what's happening in some of the Victorian electorates of where that are majority Chinese or kind of Australians that you get more diversity with the candidates that go or get picked. 
Hmm. I think that's probably the more likely hmm. thing that would happen. Yeah. Well, that's quite possible, and I think it'd be reasonable to expect that. I mean, you you do look at the the changing makeup over the last thirty or so years of the uh, you know that the candidates are available, particularly particularly in uh, when you start talking about smaller parties and and independents, not exclusively, but you tend to see changes around the fringe happen more readily than in the the main sort of staid conservative and and labor uh, sort of main two major parties so i agree with mm. you you probably would see that diversity but you can also argue that that's simply a reflection of the makeup of the electorates that are desiring to be represented by the people that they identify with yeah yeah, probably my my other my other aspect on this that always bugs me is why is it being suggested now and the QE bono for whose benefit? Now these things get packaged very smoothly and very beautifully, but it's seldom for our benefit. Uh, I'm just a little bit suspicious as to why. Why now and why suddenly and what's the of, – of all the issues that are needing to be faced and large issues are needing to be faced, why is this being pushed? Now, it may simply be coincidence. I don't know what the answer is, but I don't trust them. You are you are a deeply untrusting person, RD. <laughs> I, I, I guess Good. I need to respect you for that. <laughs> now um, – Okay. Can I, I just I ask it, one more thing on this one? Ahead. Or yeah, go ahead. I just, I think, um, yeah, it's really interesting that the, yeah, like I said, it's it's two Labor governments that are talking about it, but I feel like the, um, you know, you see this as well. Like we don't have to get into that now, but it's like the well-being budget, and I, I appreciate that in the question you gave to us, you know, about the um, ideologically aligned governments being so close together. Like I said, it's it's to me, it's like there's this uh, great book um, called The Corporate Networks of Australia and New Zealand, and it was written in 2004, and it basically just outlines that there is no discernible difference between the makeups of the economies in terms of the major players, the major corporations that are the major players in the Australian and New Zealand economy. So for me, it, it doesn't really, you know, if the corporations are all the same, the community is relatively the same. It doesn't, it, it kind of says, okay, well, then why can't we give people those, you know, voting rights if they're permanent residents? So I think that that is so, um, that that uh, gets missing in action. It's like the culture is kind of the same because we have the same kind of, uh, you know, um, agglomerated businesses in the region who uh, employ people across both, both countries and send people on business trips um, all the time between the two mm-hmm. countries. So, if you know, it's a it's a classic thing. If uh, if uh, if capital can move, why can't people? Especially between Australia and New Zealand, I think. Hmm. True, and I feel like that sort of segues into one of my broader points, which is a which is a point in the in a broader geopolitical term. Um, but I'll also try and address your concerns, Adit. Um, why now? Purely because we have a new government that is ideologically aligned uh, with the mm-hmm. current New Zealand government. Uh, 
uh, and why this rather than all the other important issues? Mm. Purely, I would say, because with the election of a new government, it's tradition, if you will, for the new you know prime minister to meet the New Zealand prime minister. They have to discuss things. And that's probably why like New Zealand-focused policy has been thrust into the spotlight this week. I, I doubt it would continue beyond next week because you know, Albanese won't be meeting with Jacinta Ardern next week. Um, uh, look, but that's, I a, do... that's, a, that's a pretty re- – they're, they're reasonable points. I can understand that. Mm. The other thing, though, is I feel like the future of geopolitics uh, is EU-style uh, sort of organisations where countries are, you know, banding together in a sense. And it, it does surprise me that the EU doesn't really have a competitor in that kind of setup, you know, like I feel like it would be, um, like, like I'm surprised there hasn't been a push, for example, to form an EU-style block of South American countries, for example, or South Pacific countries, etc. Mm. Um. Yeah, and so, but but I do think that those kind of arrangements will become more popular, um, and I personally think Australia should probably pursue those kind of arrangements with our neighbours as well. I think, especially like you mentioned, that especially with Australia and its neighbours, with the kind of concerns with China pushing in on the Pacific a bit, and I'll be honest, I think we need to also move away from the US a bit slightly. I think working with. Uh, Pacific neighbours and uh, Asian neighbours is probably the smartest thing to for us to go forward because that way it slightly protects us as a group from any kind of stuff that China might try and push mm-hmm. but it also allows us to move slightly away from the US and not be as heavily reliant as I mentioned mm. kind of like in practice like the testing yesterday that it very much a good analogy for Australia's relationship to the US is it, that the US is Dr. Frankenstein and Australia is the eagle. Yeah. We just kind of tend to be the little helper of the US doing whatever they kind of say. And I feel like that puts us in a dangerous position that we really shouldn't be in. That's understandable. Hmm. I suppose you just need to look to the early stages of the pandemic um, when then President Trump, you know, talked about, you know, how the uh, virus had been made in a Chinese lab kind of thing and that we needed an investigation into it. And Morrison then just kind of immediately jumped on board because, you know, Australia and America do have that kind of relationship and it really kind of brought an ire. Uh, from China onto Australia, it arguably caused a lot of economic damage to Australian businesses um, when they started to freeze out and, you know, our trade war kind of started to escalate even more. Mm. So, yeah, I think that is a really good point to raise. Um, Does anyone have anything else they'd like to add before we move on to our second topic? No, move on. I take yep. your I take your silence as consent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, second, our second topic today is a voice to parliament referendum. The government has flagged having one as soon as next year. Um, this is a pretty big deal. Uh, what 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 are we? What are just our beginning thoughts on that? You start off this time, time, Matt. Then we'll go on to Spence. 
Oh, thanks for thanks for the invite. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, look, I, <laughs> I've done some, you know, I've done some, I've done some bits on this, um, but last, you know, last August, I sat in at the, uh, you know, the Labor Party campaign launch, and uh, old mate Albanese was there, and he, you know, committed to the Uluru statement and all that kind of stuff from the heart, um, in full, and that was a major part of his, um, you know kind of platform and i think that doing it within you know i was just literally watching insiders uh before uh this uh podcast and they had a whole debate section as well about about the voice about how much detail needs to be prepared before it's put to referendum um and what is the best kind of course from ensuring that it, it goes through but i just wanted to make like make one point it, it i think it speaks to the um ability of you know atsic you know was um abolished after a scandal of the leadership right by the howard government and i think that what this is showing is that the indigenous voice really needs to be enshrined into the constitution you know before we can have something as big as a national treaty and i think that when you look at you know the the prospect of that whole process is actually quite hopeful because, you know, New Zealanders had their treaty of Waitangi in eighteen in the early 1800s, right? And we're in the 21st century now. So I feel like going through that process of a voice and a national treaty uh, in the 2020s, it opens up a whole new ball game. We know so much more now um, about how to interact with people um, and not view them as uh, mentally inferior. So, mm. yeah, I think that that, that is a, a cool thing to note, that this is a process of, uh, of statecraft um, that's unfolding before our eyes. So you've got to get on the ship if you want to steer it in the right way, you know? Hmm. True. What about so you, Spitz? For me, the thing I'm worried about, it's not about the kind of referendum thing because I think there needs to be an Indigenous voice in Parliament. We've things that are going on in the treatment of Indigenous people in Australia. It, there's a serious like lack of care, and that it's pretty clear that we've been treating Indigenous citizens as second-class citizens for a very long time, and that does need a change. My one worry is that it could be a Game Age public site 2.0 in the way groups of people are treated. Mm-hmm. It's coming from that situation. That was a terrible situation for a lot of LGBT people because it put unnecessary pressure on them and caused them to be the kind of brunt of kind of unnecessary hatred. My worry is that that's going to be the same thing that's going to happen to a lot of Indigenous Australians. That's fair. I think that is a valid concern. I am hopeful that we will avoid that, uh, particularly as Dutton seems to have flagged that the Liberal Party may support a referendum. Um, he offered a sort of olive branch by, you know, talking about how maybe he shouldn't have walked out of the apology and things like that. So, yeah. My main concern, mm-hmm. though, um, about, about this is I feel it's really important that we get, you know, the question right and how the voice will be established and things like that. 
I'm I'm more worried less about a marriage plebiscite 2.0 and more about a republic referendum 2.0, where mm. the republic you know vote kind of got split because people wouldn't agree on a model and it ended up par- like not passing essentially. And I, I feel like should a referendum for an indigenous voice to parliament not pass, um, that'll be a major blow to the government and indigenous rights in the country for decades to come. And I think that's a genuine concern. I, I had a look up at the, the stats just before we came on. Uh said, as of 2020, 44 nationwide referendums have been held, only eight of which have been carried. And just in case you're running things through your head, there's the, the side note there. Uh, they've only been 19 times the Australian polls of uh, Australian people have gone to the polls to vote on constitutional amendments, as is common to have multiple questions. So if you're, if you're trying, to, trying to think 44 national referendums, uh, there's multiple questions in some of those. So mathematically, yeah, 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 because I when I read that sentence first off, I thought, hang on, I don't, I've been around for a while. I don't remember that many, but yeah. Uh, not that I was around for the first first of them, but uh, you know what I mean. So I think mathematically... Yeah. But you, were, yeah. you, were, you, were, you were voting in the nationalisation one from Fisher. Voting in the... Na- <laughs> What's, what was that one? Uh, no, no, no. I was just making a joke. It was 1906 or 1908 or something. I uh, 19, 1910. Oh, no, just missed that. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> so, look, I think mathematically there is a, a risk to this, and the one that you talked about, the apricot being the, uh, the Republic, I think that was a classic example of a poorly expressed question. My concern is I still haven't seen uh, this issue summed up in a a usable, easily communicated sentence. I think if you went out now and asked most people, me included, definitely me included, saying, what does it actually mean? You'd get almost as many different answers as people you asked. And I think that level of vagueness is not the right base on which to build a referendum. Mm. It needs at least, over. I feel like this is a kind of thing that should be pushed through even in the late of the second year of the government or early in the third year of the government, just so mm-hmm. it gets time to clear things up to make sure it's perfect. Because if it doesn't, like as you said, if it doesn't pass, it is going to cause a lot of problems for the government and Indigenous rights. So it needs to be put in a situation and gone through and kind of fixed up enough to where it will pass and that the wording mm-hmm. is near perfect, that people know mm-hmm. what they're voting on. Because they're looking at the polls that a majority of people support, about 70% support an Indigenous voice in Parliament. If that kind of question is worded correctly, that should pass easily. But there's a problem, as you mentioned, that referendums are very difficult to pass in Australia. Mm-hmm. And they're usually, I also as think, you said, bad wording. Yeah. I also think it's just worth highlighting for our listeners, um, referendums in Australia 
don't just simply pass on a majority of vote. You know, it's not like 51% of the country says yes, so it's done. Um, we've got a whole bunch of rules focused on, you know, does it pass all the states individually? Um, so it is possible, in a sense, to have, like, a majority of the population support something, but the referendum to actually fail because, you know, two to three states in, the, in those populations disagree. It's a little bit disproportionate in that method. Uh, that's important, yep. Uh, is this in it? So yeah, is it how many states is it? Is it has to be at least like five out of the six states, or is it all states have to be? I think it has to be five out of six states. Um, but so the yeah, I'm pretty sure it's five out of six at this point, and the territories kind of don't matter. Sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, poor territories. Yeah. Also, isn't there also a push now for the ACT to become a state because it's such a big population now? The Andrew Barr, the chief minister of the ACT, did flag that, you know, kind of wanting to become that because he does view his population in comparison to Tasmania. I believe it's just about 100,000 people short at this stage. Um, I don't see any significant progress being made on that for quite a while. It is... But having just talked about the territories, I think it is worth flagging that in terms of passing a referendum, the Northern Territory like has a very high amount of Indigenous people. I think it's possibly, in terms of percentage, the largest in Australia. Um, so it's a bit of a shame, really, that that territory, for all intents and purposes, um, doesn't matter as much in terms of passing the referendum you know when you know it doesn't matter how overwhelmingly in favor the northern territory votes in something their total won't be included into passing that referendum if i recall i i I hope i'm wrong but i don't think i am Mm, okay i'm not even gonna argue with you on that one given your knowledge (laughs) thank you adi i'll take that as a compliment it was meant to be (coughs) <coughs> oh dear. Uh, does anyone have anything else I'd like to say about a voice to parliament before we move on to our third topic? No, keep going. I think. Oh, oh sorry. I just to say, it's all good, Adi. I just wanted to say, I think that the referendum, and I think that uh, only uh, Pat Edison has expressed this, is more just to uh, include the provision in the constitution for it to be made through legislation. So it's more of let's have the uh, backing in the constitution, three or four lines, and then we can work out the proper model to uh, envisage. envisage. But then obviously what comes with that is, uh, okay, well, uh, after that passes, you know, the model, who creates the model? Is it just the Labor Party? Is it just their their apparatchiks? Is it just their policy setters, policy makers? Who actually creates Mm. that model? So I think Mm. the referendum if it hasn't been spelt out to people more clearly, is just more broadly on let's have three or four lines in the constitution so that um, a voice for Indigenous peoples cannot be extinguished from going towards parliament and then we work out the uh, legislation afterwards. But if that uh, if that's okay. not been explained to people, then that's probably <laughs> a bad start too. 
Okay, and I, I do hope actually that it is worded similar to that because I feel like that will pass, you know, just like should we have X rather than should we have X and its, you know, qualifications of X, Y, Z and whatnot. Mm. So, yeah. I'm wondering with this, if we do get a reference on this, how likely would it be for other kind of minority groups in Australia to push for that as well? <sighs> Maybe it's 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 a very uh, complicated subject, essentially. So it could be argued that you know Indigenous Australians have like a deeper connection to the land and things like that, particularly when you consider past treatment. So they sort of have, for, for lack of a better word, like a, a better claim to having a voice to Parliament. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't. It will be very interesting to see how this all plays out. I do hope it passes, um, but I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more moves from the government on this. I think it'd be very difficult to have uh, another another group of people uh, put up the same put up the same argument. I think the fact that uh, you know, Aboriginal people were here before. You know the current uh, the current Europeans, to me is 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 the is the winning card. To say coming coming after uh, coming after that as a group, personally, I wouldn't support that. Yeah, I'm happy to support this. I wouldn't support the other because I think it's a totally it's a totally different situation. I think the you know, the Aboriginal population has got the, for want of a better thing, first first mover advantage. They were here. That's why it's an issue, not because there's been a growing population that suddenly feels like they need representation. That's that's mm. how I that's how I view it, Spence. I think it's a. I think they're very, very different situations, and numbers doesn't really change it. I definitely yeah, just agree with that. The, the, sorry, Spence. I just think that, yeah, what you said about the numbers, it's like, you know, their population was de- like decimated down to 2% mm. um, at, ni- at 1901. And now it's uh, gone back up to about 4 or 5% of the Australian population. So the, you know, um, maybe about a million at, in 17, at 1788 and then uh, down to a couple hundred or 100,000. Uh, in 1901 and now that number's back up uh to about 800,000 to a million again it's just that you've got you know 24 million people that are non-indigenous uh, mm. so so to speak so the numbers have increased and that might be why a part of the reason why it's come up right now but yeah like you said it's the original stake to claim of our society was here first yeah and i think even if you and Thankfully, it's not the case. But even if you only had a population of, you know, one tenth of that, I think the principle is still the same. Hmm. Yeah. All righty then. We might move on to our third topic, uh, which is polling. We've had some polling released, uh, specifically for New South Wales, Victoria, and Queensland. Um, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to go over that polling. Um, I had a little so, bit I... of a look, but unleash your unleash your inner cephologist, Apricot, and set us up for discussion. Okay, okay. Well, I think I might just do a quick 
whip around of the three of them, starting with the most boring one, which was New South Wales, which was which is a real shame actually, because there is going to be a New South Wales election next year. Um, I've been waiting out for some polling before that, but all we got was a Guardian Essential poll that says support for the Liberals has dropped below forty percent. Um, sad faced, particularly when it was taken during <laughs> the whole Barilaro saga. Um, it is a poll. I don't think it's really worth that much, um, and should consequently be forgotten. Um, but I do, it's, it's, it's a bit difficult because I'm looking towards the New South Wales election and I am paying attention to it, but I don't know if I see the Liberals losing at this point. It's a, it's a very injured government. Um, but I think the Premier, Dominic Perroget, I can't ever pronounce Perichai. his name correctly. No Perichai. one can pronounce his last name. <laughs> Ardeep, Ken, what was that? Perroget, thank you. Yeah. I think he's being incredibly conscious of how he looks to the public. Um, you know, there was concerns that he's super right-wing. Um, and I don't know if New South Wales Labour is really putting up... Um, We'll, we'll say, you know, an A-plus campaign at this point. So I just before we move on to the other ones, uh, just some quick thoughts on New South Wales polling and New South Wales election. I think with the New South Wales election, it's very much a battle of... It's kind of like on the federal election on a different kind of level in which you've got a Labor government, which I think is very much what the media tried to make the federal Labor government out to be as an unknown, whereas the New South Wales Labor government, a lot of people, you really don't know a lot. Because they're not as vocal as the federal Labor government, so you're not hearing as much about their policies uh, I, and all that. Versus just kind to, of a... Oh, you go. So, yeah, sorry, just to quickly confirm, when you say the New South Wales Labour government, are you talking about the actual oh, government Labor. or the country or the party? No, because the Liberals are in government. The party, my bad. Yeah, I know. My okay, bad. Okay. That the Labour Party. And I think when you verse and then you've got a kind of coalition government in New South Wales that has had these things with corruption. It's going to be a battle of where the voters are do the voters go for something that they don't really know because this corruption is so has been bad? Or do they kind of look past it because there's not really much of a better option? Because I think the difference is where federally there was a clear thing where, oh, yeah, there is very much a better option here. We have not been able to see that yet with this current Labour opposition in New South Wales. They need to make themselves a bit more vocal and a bit more seen to show that, yeah, we are a better option than what is currently here. That's a fair point. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what do you think? Well, uh, if you get, yeah, I'd, I'd just say, like, uh, I worked at the New South Wales Labor Party head office for two years, and um, I think what my biggest takeaway for them is is that compared to, the, you know, every other state apart from New South Wales and Tasmania, it's currently run by a Labor or a Labor Greens government. And I think that my only observation really is that their party machinery in New South Wales, despite it being, you know, one of the two biggest states, is really, really uh, 
shoddy compared to the campaigning tactics used in uh, in WA. So I think that uh, my hope, just because of my general perspective, is that I hope that they uh, take on, you know, some of the campaigning tactics um, of, you know, the McGowans and, and try to uh, actually talk to constituents. But um, again, when I was there, it was in a pretty dilapidated state. So I yeah, look, it's uh, it's interesting. I think that the polling is, you know, about as good as it can be. And I think as well, Dominic Perrette with uh, Albanese, you know, uh, getting the photos with the floods this last week. I think uh, if you can see that you've got a competent leader during a crisis, mm. uh, that'll play into polling too. It might make people feel more safer at the moment to keep with Liberal. Hmm. And I think the other thing that's worth highlighting in that is Matt Keane, uh, the treasurer, and I believe he is still the environment minister in New South Wales. Um, he's a much more moderate liberal, uh, similar to, you know, Turnbull. He's, he's what I would call a Turnbull-esque liberal. Um, mm. And I think he, he's been quite vocal and has had quite possibly, you could say, undue influence on policy, you know, in terms of environmental politics, New South Wales isn't the worst state um, in Australia, and it's actually probably one of the better ones at this point. So I don't know if you'll exactly get like a teal surge. Like I feel like a lot of his influence and things like that will kind of hedge that off for the New South Wales election. I feel like a lot of those Liberals will feel comfortable supporting the current Liberal Party in New South Wales. And, um, Matt, if you still have contacts in New South Wales Labor, uh, one, can you please tell them to stop campaigning against the land tax? That's a very stupid thing. And two, <laughs> can you also get Chris Minns to change his Wikipedia profile picture because he looks like a cocaine adult footballer? <laughs> I need to look at <laughs> that. Really, that you should. You, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. It bothers me a lot. Um <laughs> <laughs> and and a uh, little bit of like this is an apricot fun fact for all you listeners. I do actually have oh, form on. I, I do actually have form on getting um, party leaders to change their Wikipedia uh, profile pictures. I once wrote a bunch of things to uh, Terry Mills, Leo Ripacholi, um and and Michael Gunner in the NT for the NT election where I didn't like any of their profile pictures and I was like, nah, guys, you need to change that. Um, <laughs> and two of them actually did in the end, so. Oh, well done. <laughs> yeah, oh, look, he Google Images. He has a lot better pictures than the ones that are on Wikipedia. Yeah, it, it feels, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, anyway, Victorian polling. Uh, surprise, surprise, based on the Victorian polling, Daniel Andrews is going to win. Wow. I get a vibe that this is going to be very much a WA 2.0. Where you've got a group of people that are so annoyed with outside kind of people that are not from the state making comments and making taking jabs at them that they're just going to do a massive middle finger and go, no, stuff you. We're do- staying with this. I 
I don't know if we'll exactly have a WA style wipeout here. Um, to be honest, I don't think we will, but it isn't going to be pretty. The Liberals will not win because the state of the Victorian Liberal Party is just a joke. I feel like I wouldn't be surprised to hear after the election they've announced that they're dissolving kind of thing because huh. they're ba- they're bankrupt. They have really no proper public standing, you know, people, you know, like when your option was with Matt, um, Michael O'Brien, which many of our listeners have probably forgotten even existed because he was such an invisible leader, or Matthew Guy, who, you know, ran that disastrous last campaign. It's just, it's a, it's a party that's in a really bad shape. Uh, it's it's, one... it's a, 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 a tedious and boring party. There's no, there's no personality, nothing you can get your, your, your teeth into. I, I am, am not a fan of Andrews whatsoever uh, or the, the Labor Party, but Andrews in particular. But it feels, in fact, for me, it feels like the, you know, the last, probably the last at least 20 or so years in, in Victoria, we seem to have this this thing where whoever is in opposition just decays rapidly into absolute duds until something changes the situation. And at the moment, I'm looking at the Liberal Party and they're a pack of duds. It's really unfortunate because I'd love to see someone go up against Andrews, but I don't see it being the Liberals. And I don't think it helps in that a lot of the higher-ups for the Liberal Party in Victoria already have massive controversies against them. Because mm. you have... Who was it that had the car accident drink driving? Tim Smith. Yeah. He's like, actually yeah, decided th- not to recontest. Which is a smart thing. Is that it's just not... It's like, as you said, there's no one there that is a good option. Not even, not mm. even to feel angry about or particularly excited about you know the the most i can sum up for for some of them is like oh, okay and that's about the mm. limit of my excitement and okay, i think yeah. it's hard to i'll be honest it's a thing of where the opposition is so terrible but as much as people don't like Andrew, i think there's a general thought that yeah he did a good thing that he did try and protect people which i think would give enough goodwill for this election. Next election, probably not. But there's enough goodwill there that he always did some incompetent, which, I'll be honest, with how Australia has been, is the bare minimum, but it's something more than a lot of others have done. Mm-hmm. Just doing the... being slightly competent and putting the lives of the Australian people first before businesses tends to do very well for voters they feel like oh yeah we're recognized we're seen maybe i'm not sure how well that'll translate for this upcoming election because we have had like no federal elections and a lot of that mm. uh support anger i think will have siphoned off what do you think matt uh, look to be honest i don't pay too much attention to victoria because um yeah uh all of the you're, politics you're not listen yeah, they are focused on Victoria. So, but all I would say is, I think that for me, it's like, <clears throat> you know, I'm, uh, you know, I have my own personal political views. But when I look at Victorian Labor, they kind of do a lot of stuff that 
you know, a Liberal Party would have done in the 80s and 90s. So for me, it just seems like that's kind of the reason why um, the Liberals are, uh, you know, dilapidated there and they haven't, you know, <clears throat> how would I put it like this? There's, um, a, you know, there's a much wider conversation, but like how much uh, thought leadership and, you know, actual constructing of their ideology are they doing now in Victoria, especially when they had, you know, their federal treasurer get removed by Teal. You know, it's it's um, it 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 paints a picture that you have to actively write down and put forward what you believe in. And I don't think that, you know, uh, like Labor hasn't, Victorian Labor puts together, you know, a platform, but I, I don't think I've seen, maybe Ardit can point me in the direction, but I don't <laughs> think I've seen a Liberal Party platform uh, put together for mm-hmm. Victoria. So as well, I think it's, it's more of an identity crisis of who do we actually represent. And uh, like Perfect. Ardit said, when you, when you get pushed to a calamity as well, you kind of have to reset really hard. Uh, otherwise, people will just keep looking at you like you're a, a grey mug. Mm. I think mm. that goes on to a lot of things we've I've noticed with the Liberal Party is it feels like, and this is something I really noticed during the federal election as well, is that it doesn't seem to be a, a clear platform. It's very much kind of more of a phrase or some like idea but not a clear thing of, yeah, this is what we're going to do. Mm. It's more just kind of like, oh, we're not Labour or we've been here so you can trust us. Yeah, It's very much Um, not clear. Indeed. Now, I just wanted to touch on something, and this may um, fuel allegations that I am a tree Tory against me. Um, (laughs) But, Ajit, you talked before about how there's no one really exciting in the Victorian Liberals, in a sense. Right. Um, I would disagree. Okay, lay it on us. There is one uh, member of the Victorian Liberal Party that I actually have a little bit of respect for, um, that I think may actually be an asset uh, to the parliament, perhaps. Um, And I'm going to be very interesting to see what happens with them in the November election. It is John Posado, the former member for Hawthorne. He's announced he's the candidate for Hawthorne again. He's planning on trying to win that back. Um, He sensationally lost his seat uh, live on ABC during the 2018 election. Um, And... But just before he lost his seat, he announced that he would put his hat in for the leadership position. And he was actually saying a lot of things that I found tolerable in the sense that he was talking and he was like, look, the Liberal parties need to engage younger voters. Climate change is real. We Obviously, you know, where we're at is not like electorally feasible and it's just wrong. We need to, we need to actually properly pivot. Um, and <clears throat> coming from the November election, I would prefer Labor to win. I'd prefer a Labor Greens minority government. Um, mm-hmm. But I do, like, I may be a member of the Greens, but I like democracy first and foremost. And I don't know if democracy in Victoria is really running as great as it can be when you have oh. the opposition so dilapidated and basically useless. 
Um, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens then. And I can oh, see, finish. I can see if John Posado does win back Hawthorn, uh even though the Liberals won't win twenty eighteen, I feel like he'd be a strong contender for sorry twenty twenty two. I feel like he'd make a strong contender for the leadership afterwards. Ah, okay. Heard it here first. That's a good prediction. Hey, do we uh, do we have time? To, there's no uh, user comment, no member comments. Uh, but do you want to just quickly say what the uh, polling was up in in Queensland? I know we've we've just we've just about hit our time, but just for rounding just it off. Rounding it off, uh, Queensland had a YouGov poll. Uh, it was fifty fifty ALP to the LNP. Um, but the best part about it for me was that the Greens were actually polling 14% in Queensland, uh, which is higher than what they polled in the ACT and Victoria. And should it be replicated at their next election, they'd probably win another two to three seats. So mm. I'm happy with that. Mm. Mm. Oh, very interesting. Okay. Uh, does anyone have any closing thoughts, any thoughts about Queensland polling before we do wrap up for today, guys? Mm, not real. I think Queensland's more the biggest unknown for me. I think that's because of the slight lack of knowledge a bit, but it also feels like it's the kind of thing that could go. Oh, Spence, you're gone. You're muted. Okay, then. Well, perhaps on that note... <laughs> um, <laughs> we might wrap up for today um thank you spence and matt for joining us it's been a great episode and don't forget everyone that this episode will be going up on your favorite podcasting app uh probably by the end of the day yep just look up talkingozpol.com so go to talkingozpol.com uh it'll probably be about a couple of hours from now and you can find the links there for setting up in your your podcast player thank you again apricot for organizing that and nice speaking to you spence and matt indeed adios nice speaking to you moderators have a good day <laughs> see you later <laughs> Bye.